Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. And welcome back, friends, to yet another day on the podcast, starting a brand new chapter today, Mark chapter 9. So I hope you'll uh, find your place and follow along. have a postcard today from Naomi. Naomi from Temecula, California. Naomi, I really enjoyed reading your postcard. First of all, it's a picture of some poppies in Germany. And the verse on the front, Matthew 6, 34, is actually written in German. At least that's what she tells me. I don't know German, but it has been my privilege to be to Germany on numbers of occasions. And I'll tell you, the southern part of Germany is among the the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen in my life. Naomi's dad is from Germany. Naomi tells me that she listens to the podcast all at once, every Friday while she vacuums her church. What a, what a servant. Thank you for that, Naomi. So she binges on Friday. So I hope that you hear all about this as you are vacuuming your church, Naomi. Thanks for being faithful to the Lord and to the podcast. We are in Mark chapter number nine, as I said, and Jesus has been clarifying what discipleship is. We've talked about this now for several days. I felt as if I didn't really do a good job last episode because I kind of really flew through those verses about uh, finding your life and losing your life and living for Jesus. And Jesus one day uh, not being ashamed of us at his coming, but us sharing in his glory. Because we have to keep in mind that the suffering of today is temporary and the glory of eternity is permanent. That was a big deciding factor in Paul's life when he said to the Corinthians, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. So that eternal perspective, keeping in, in perspective our trials and what they are, and how they actually work for us and and help us. James talked about that in James 1, verses 2 through, really through 11, but 2 through 5 especially. And then Paul talked about that to the Romans in Romans chapter 5. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So great perspective that Jesus is giving his disciples here. But he did say to them at the end of chapter 8, he did reference about coming in his glory. And he said to them in Matthew 16, and there be some that are standing here that shall not taste of death until you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. And so what was Jesus talking about there? He was talking about a life of discipleship and suffering. And yet he said, but some of you are going to get a foretaste of glory divine. So, so who were they and what was that occasion? Well, that's what we're talking about today. So look at Mark chapter 9, verse number 1. And he said unto them, verily I say unto you, 
that there be some of them that stand here. This is what I was just talking about. There be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. You say, well, boy, that that can't have been true because Jesus didn't come with power in his kingdom yet. I mean, that day is coming. One day when Jesus Christ returns with his own and sets up his reign in what we call the millennium, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So all the people that Jesus was talking to back then, they've all died. So is this a contradiction in scripture that Jesus said that some that were standing among him on that day would not die until they actually saw Jesus coming in his glory? So when did that happen? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today because it did happen. And some of them that were standing there saw it happen. Look at verse number two. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John. So those are the three that were standing there that Jesus promised would not taste of death until they saw Jesus coming in his glory. So Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Okay, another way to say that is they saw him in his glory. They saw Jesus as we shall see Jesus, in his glorified body, not in his human frailty, but in his divine glory. The way that John saw him in the Revelation, uh, the eyes with flame of fire and the, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. They're going to see that. Uh, they saw that on that day. So this is exactly what Jesus meant when he said that some of you are standing here that will kind of get a foretaste of what it will look like, what I will be like. And in that sense, what we all will be like because we shall share in his glory. And when we see him, we shall be like him. John told us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, for we shall see him as he is. So Jesus is taking them to this high mountain. Now, which high mountain was it? We don't know exactly. Uh, this is what we call the Mount of Transfiguration because that, there Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, there are some good guesses. Now, my guess would be that the Mount of Transfiguration is Mount Hermon, or Mount, we would say Mount Hermon, but that's a really a mispronunciation, Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in Israel. It's a mountain that actually is shared today by three countries, Lebanon, Syria, and Israel. And it's a snow-capped mountain. There's actually a ski, ski area there today. Now, why? Why do I think it's Mount Hermon? Because that's the high mountain right there by Caesarea Philippi. So if Jesus proclaimed himself to be Messiah and clarified the mission the mission of Messiah and has been teaching in Caesarea, then the mountain that's right there is Mount Hermon. Now, there is a mountain down right near Nazareth called Mount Tabor that some of our Catholic friends believe is uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, but I, it's just tradition. Just like so many things in Catholicism, it's tradition not really based upon the Word of God. And it's really far-fetched to think that Jesus would have, and his disciples would have traveled all that distance in that very short window of time to get there just to walk up this mountain. So it doesn't make sense. Look at verse number three, 
where the Bible describes his tent transfiguration, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. So the whitest, brightest you can imagine was Jesus, blindingly white on that mountain, a, a symbol of his glory. Look at verse number four. And there appeared unto them Elias, or we would say Elijah, with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Now, how interesting that on that Mount of Transfiguration, now Peter, James, and John are accompanied by not only Jesus, who's in his glorified body, but there speaking with Jesus is Moses and Elijah. Now, I mean, they they would be the most popular people that a Jewish person could ever hope to meet. They would be kind of like the George Washington and the Abraham Lincoln of Jewish history, that Elijah and Moses. Now, why is that significant? I think it's significant for a number of reasons. First of all, remember, it was Moses and Elijah that would be the primary forerunners of Messiah. Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like unto him. That's Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. And the Jews called him that prophet. And then the Bible says that Elijah would come ahead of Christ. Well, there is Elijah. So Elijah and Moses really are forerunners of and pointers to Messiah. So there's a great validation here. But not only that, Moses is the author of the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Pentateuch, Penta meaning five. So uh, Moses as the writer of the Torah and Elijah as the representative prophet of the prophets. Well, that's the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. It's almost as if to say that everything that Jesus has been teaching about the nature of Messiah, everything that Jesus had been teaching about the fact that Messiah would suffer and would be rejected and would die is not at all in contradiction to the Old Testament as represented by Moses and Elijah. But everything that Jesus said is a complete concert with and is a validation and fulfillment of the Old Testament. Indeed, Jesus came not to abrogate the law, but to fulfill it. So as Moses and Elijah are speaking with, conversing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is in front of them in his transfigured body. It's very clear that they are subservient to and in agreement with the teachings of the Lord Jesus. So what a great visual this is for Peter and James and John, Peter especially, who has denied the need for the crucifixion, has denied the need for suffering and rejection, and has tried to alter the mission of the Lord insofar that Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. So this is a great validation, is it not? But it's not done. Look at verse number five. And Peter answered, so always Peter speaking first, right? He was never at a loss for words. He was at a loss for reasons sometimes, but never at a loss for words. His mouth operated way more quickly than, than his brain. Have you ever met somebody like that? Maybe you're like that. I tend to be that way. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, master or teacher, it is good for us to be here. Well, sure. 
Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is wonderful. This is like a mountaintop experience. Let's make three tabernacles, like almost like three altars and three shrines for, for each one of you. Now, it's kind of a dumb thing to say. It doesn't really make sense. And what was Peter driving at? Uh, there's been many times, many have asked that question, but the point is nobody really knows. And I don't know that Peter really knew because the, the very next verse says, look at it, verse number six, for he wist not what to say. So why would Peter say that? Because he didn't know what to say. He didn't, he just was up there. We ought to do something. We ought to honor in some way. We ought to, let's do this. He just said something because he had nothing else to say. That's a bad thing to say. That's a bad time to say something. And he he didn't know what to say, for they were sore afraid. They were just in complete awe, as you might imagine, to see Jesus transfigured, to see Moses and Elijah. I mean, what do you do? What do you say? This is also befuddling and so awe-inspiring that Peter just said the first thing, that came to his mind. I uh, I think I'm going to stop there. I, I, I went a little bit long yesterday. We're right kind of on time right now, and we're about halfway through. So let, let's stop there for the time being. I'm going to come back to verse number seven next episode, and we'll wind this thing up. There's still more to say, and there's something really big that's still going to happen on this mountaintop, I don't want you to miss, but I, I don't want to rush through it either. So have a great day. Uh, enjoy whatever you're doing today. Live for the Lord. And uh, tomorrow we'll see you again, and we'll talk about verses 7 through the end of the story. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.